Father, we come before you today because we know that you are worthy and we are not. Father, we know that you are worthy and that you are altogether wonderful to us. Father, we live in a world that lacks wonderfulness. We live in a world that lacks specialness. But Father, you are the source of all of that in our lives and in our world. Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, one of the ways that we can admit that, acknowledge that, make that true in our lives is to be able to go to you and ask forgiveness for any sin or mistakes or any errors or anything in our life that doesn't need to be there. So, Father, we're just going to take a moment right now and just ask you to forgive us of those sins, Lord, that we're just going to go to you, each of us individually, and just wash the slate clean this morning so that we can worship you. Let's just do that right now, each of us individually. Father, forgive us of those things. Lord, and as we come this morning to worship you, Lord, may our hearts be attuned to you. Father, the thing that we're going to talk about this morning is not going to be easy. It's going to be something that's going to challenge us every day that we are here in our lives. But Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to complete what it means to build on a solid foundation. Father, that you would help us to be able to get our lives on that rock and stay on that rock. Father, we pray this morning that you would send your Holy Spirit amongst us, Father, in our hearts, equipping us, giving us the strength and will to follow you wherever you lead. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dunstan Thorne, not again. It's Tristan, actually. Oh, you do look a bit like your father. <laughs> and I suppose you intend to cross the wall as well, do you? Well, you no, can I... forget it. Go home. Cross the wall as well as who? No one. Nobody. Nobody crosses the wall. You know that. Everybody knows that. You know, no, I, no, I know. I understand. Nobody. Well, I, I better just head for the old homestead then. Yeah. Right then. Night, Tristan. Good night. Give my best to your father. Off you go. For many of us in this life, we, we want to cross the wall into a greater and more vibrant spirituality. We want to cross the wall from being on the sandy soil to being on the rock, right? But then some mean guy with a staff, right, knocks us down and blocks us. Well, no, that's not what usually blocks us. That's not what stops us from persevering in the Christian faith, but... There are things that are equally as tough and equally as difficult that keep us from living our lives according to God's plan and, in fact, prevent us from completing the journey that God has set for us. In fact, I would argue, um, as we're going to talk about today, I have a radical idea um, that we don't talk about a lot in churches, but I'm going to mention it today because one of the challenges um, that we face as believers is the issue of 
finishing well, of persevering. It's easy for us at some season or time in our lives to feel that we know God and that we want to relate to Him and that we want to understand Him. But the number of people from that who finish well, I believe, is very, very small. And so today we see the problem of persevering, getting over the wall, the struggle to finish the race that God had established. This young man in the movie clip tries to get into over the wall into the magical land that he wants to get into, and that would be the end or the beginning of a brand new journey, and he can't do it because he has stopped. And it is a struggle that we all face, what we're going to talk about here this morning. Our series then is building on a solid foundation. This is um, the sixth part of a six-week series of building our life on the concrete. We've been talking about this for the last six weeks about what it means to get our lives on the concrete. You know, the problem is, is that we're tempted to stay on the sand. We're tempted to stay unfocused, undisciplined, un, you know, laissez-faire in our approach to the Christian faith. And the challenge that we've been talking about for the last six weeks is that the Bible, at least Jesus, okay, because I know we always, in our culture, we want to make Jesus the warm, friendly guy who would never condemn anyone. But his big message throughout most of the Gospels, especially Matthew, is that the way to God is very narrow. That there are lots of people who think that they are in relationship with God, but they are not. And it's not because that they don't go to church, or not because they're not religious, because that doesn't have anything to do with it. But it has to do with our lives being founded on God, and Him alone above all else. So this is our six-week series. Our strategy, real quick, um, is that first week we talked about the fact that we need to commit to our salvation in God. Commitment doesn't mean to church or ministry, but the fact that we, when we sign up, when we agree to be a Christian, when we believe, when we agree to be a follower of Jesus, that we must make certain that that is a real commitment, a real covenant in our lives. The second week we talked about that it is necessary for us to understand God's plan for each of us, that it is not enough for us to kind of just go through um, and talk about God and just sort of, yeah, I know God, but not ever pursue or understand what he wants us to do in our lives. The third week, we talked about togetherness, that for us to grow spiritually, for us to actually, you know, put down some deep roots, it requires us, yes, the word right, I use it right, it requires us to be in community with other people. If we go and we sit in our home and we watch TV evangelists every Sunday, and we never go outside of our home, there's no one there to challenge us, right? TV evangelists just challenge us for our money. They don't challenge us to live our lives according to Jesus, okay? Um, at least not directly, at least not in a way that can offend us and then make us look at ourselves in the mirror and change, right? So it is critical that we grow together, that we are involved together, that we don't just attend church, but that we be the church, the church living, working together. The fourth week we talked about followership, that once we decide, we come together, we understand God's plan, we're committed to it, that this next step is for us to really be obedient to what God calls us to do, to actually follow Him, just not to talk about it, not intend to follow Him, but to actually follow Him. And of course, last week we talked about producing fruit, right? And I had my charts up here, not really charts, but I had numbers and scores and all kinds of other stuff, and some people weirded out, but that's okay, because we need to start thinking about our producing a fruit the bible tells us that if there is no fruit in our lives where are we at with god probably nowhere probably nowhere and so it is not enough for us to just simply say hey yeah i know god and then there be no fruit in our lives there must be some fruit 
And the thing I challenge each of you with is that producing fruit should come naturally from those of us who are Christians, for those of us who are believers. It's easy to do. I mean, I even gave some examples, you know, attending church, how much fruit does that produce last week? I gave it a score of like one, right? Teaching children Sunday school, right? Or something like that. Maybe a score of eight, right? Because you're teaching the Bible to people who are open and willing and want to grow in the Lord, right? So the thing is, is that's easy for us to move from sitting to production, but it requires us to be willing to do that. And that's always a challenge. Okay, so this week we're going to talk about the last step, the hardest step, perseverance okay now of course we could micro these and come up with 30 steps if i want to do 30 weeks but six weeks is about long enough you guys are ready to move on to a different subject perseverance though does everybody know what that means perseverance means to finish to the end to make it through to the end like in the movie clip to actually go the whole way get to the wall get past the wall to make it to the finish line okay the last step is for us to persevere and this is one of the things that I think most Christians don't give any thought about, okay? If you've been in church for a while, then you've probably talked about, you know, commitment, I'm sure. You've probably talked about followership, I'm sure. But perseverance is the thing, though, that leads where God wants us to go. And I'm going to demonstrate from Scripture here today. Um, this is my little chart here, right here. If you, want, if you like charts, it's here. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily print that and hand it out to anybody, get the wrong idea, but um, that certainly demonstrates where we're going in our conversation here last couple weeks. We're going to see what the Bible says. I've been staying in Matthew uh, just for context purposes, so we're in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. If you want to turn your Bibles, you're welcome to do that. Uh, be on the big screen as well. All right, so here's Jesus speaking, and he's following all the other conversations that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, and here's what Jesus says. Uh, well, actually, it's a story about him, and then he talks. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake, okay? So the thing is, disciples here probably doesn't mean the 12 disciples you learn about in Sunday school, obviously has those in mind, but people, who's a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows after someone else, right? Who wants to be like, who wants to emulate. In the ancient world, a disciple would try to emulate their master, you know, be just like their master, and so here's the people that want to be like Jesus he tells them to cross over to the other side of the lake. Okay, so then the funny thing happens. While he's doing that, one of the teachers of religious law says to him, okay, now if you know, if you read the Bible, you know that the teachers of religious law, the word there is really scribe in the original language, it's not a Pharisee, but those people tended to be what? They were the bureaucrats. They were the nitpickers, right? They wanted to make sure that everything went according to plan Right, And so the thing is, they're, they're literal, in the original language, their word is grammar. They were the grammarians. Remember grammar like in third grade, right? It's the same root there. And, uh, and so they wanted to make sure everything was okay. So usually, the scribes, the Pharisees, all the nitpickers, they were not very, what, friendly to Jesus, right? Because they wanted to make sure Jesus did everything that they thought was God's call in his life um, according to what their perception of the law was. So one of the teachers of religious law said to him, and I could see the guy with a smile on his face, you know, saying, teacher, right? He doesn't say Lord or Master. He says, teacher, you know, I want to learn more. I'm, I, the knowledge you have is amazing. I will follow you wherever I go. Now, what it says in the original language is I will be your disciple till the end, okay? doesn't mean I'm just going to follow you, like walk around with you. It means I'm going to be your disciple wherever you go, right? So here's the problem, though. Jesus, though, replies, and he says this. Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man 
has no place to lay his head. What in the world does that mean? Well, it's always one of those confusing things. I think Jesus wanted to throw the guy for a loop and make him think about how simple what he was saying was, but yet how complex it was to live it out. You see, um, this guy was kind of like, you know, if you go to like the teeny bopper concert, right, and the kids are all screaming, right? Not that I've ever been. Um, and uh, there, yeah, I see it on TV, right? Hannah Montana's there, whatever. The kids are all screaming, and the guy is so excited, so swept up in knowledge um, that he thinks he's going to follow, but Jesus warns him. We're going to talk about that. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Actually, in the original language, it just says, let those who are dead bury their own dead. Okay, so we've got two little riddles here from Jesus, and we need to, do, to figure these out. They're pretty self-explanatory, but I want to go into a little bit of detail because it is critical for us to consider what Jesus is calling us to if we want to persevere to the end. Three ideas that we're going to talk about this morning. I went back to three so no one gets too weirded out. Um, number's not important. just makes it simple for comprehension. We must not be naive. What does naive mean? Naive means that we are, you know, country bumpkins, you know, unsure, uh, not, you know, not really wise, not really very smart. We must not be naive. It's critical that we not be naive about what Jesus calls us to. This gets back to the first week when we talked about commitment, right? Because when we raise our hand in church, right, we must understand what God is calling us to commit to, right? I mean, it's very easy for us to come into a service and Ramirez up here playing guitar and to feel swept up. I don't know that Ramirez quite Hannah Montana quite, right? But, uh, or whoever you want to fill in the blank there with, you know. But it's easy to get kind of swept up, raise our hands, say, yes, I want to follow God. But the problem is, is that we, if we're going to do that, we cannot be naive about what God is calling us to do. Listen, many people tend to get very excited in the short term. I used the example a couple weeks ago, but in this example here, this teacher of the law, you know, at least by the color, the flavor of the passage, it seems pretty likely that what's happening is, is that he's swept up by the knowledge. He's swept up by this new ideas and what he's hearing, and he's swept up by it, and he's very tempted to, to just throw his life to the wind, in a sense, and commit and follow Jesus, but... Does he understand the commitment? Does he understand what um, God is going to ask him to do? Many people tend to get very excited in the short term. I couldn't find, you know, I Google crazy Christian, holy roller, things like that, you know what I mean? I couldn't find anything to give a, a picture of, you know, people who get really excited about the Lord uh, for a couple weeks and then they're gone, right? Um, we've all seen this. I mean, I've seen this over and over again. Churches, you probably have too. There are people who come in and they get radically saved, quote unquote, you know, they get really excitable, they get really excited about what God is doing, and then like six months later, we don't see them anymore, right? Um, if you've been here for a couple years, you can probably think of a few people that you may have met along the way who have certainly done that, right? And, and the reason is, is that it's very easy as a, as, a, as a personal nature of all people is to get excited easily, but it's hard to get excited over the long term. Let me give you an example. Um... You know, most of us, hopefully all of us, for those of us that are married, when we got married, we were really excited about being married to that person, right? Really, really excited. But somewhere after we've been married for a long time, what happens? Do we stay the same level of excitement as on our wedding day? Now, I'm not going to say that we're unexcited, okay? I don't want to go, I wanna, I don't go there and say that. But the truth is, is that when things happen in our lives, because we're people 
it tends to be short term. Um, if you think about it, your boss gives you a raise, you're excited for how long? Till the end of eternity? No, right? You're excited for a season, and then you go back to grumbling, not you, but people go back to grumbling one another raise, right? Because by the very nature of us being people, we are not quite as eternal as we would like to believe. We're not quite as long-lasting as we like to believe. So many people tend to get very excited short-term about the Lord. If you've ever been in church for more than a couple years, you know that because you see people come in and out who get very excited. Now, it's not to say that getting excited about the Lord is necessarily bad. It's not bad, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, because Jesus doesn't, there's no really no scolding here that goes on. I mean, when Jesus responds to him, he responds to him in a riddle, but it's not a scolding or it's not necessarily a negative. It's just a statement of this is what you need to consider. The result is many people fail to many people fail to consider the cost, right? I mean, this Grammatus described this this religious teacher. He was not really, by Jesus' response, we know he was not really willing to consider the cost. Here's the thing: for the last six weeks, we've been talking about getting our lives from the soil, from the sandy soil to the rocky foundation. For us to complete that journey requires us to not fail. And it requires us to consider the cost and not take it lightly what God has called us to do. Now you say, well, pastor, that's a weird word because, you know, in my life I've had a lot of failure, right? It would be easy for people to say that. Well, I don't have an answer other than this. What God has called you to do to persevere to the end is something that He, by the power of His Spirit, will allow you not to fail in other words if you choose not to fail by the power of his spirit and choose may be the wrong word but if you're determined if you will yourself not to fail by the power of his holy spirit you won't fail and you will persevere i believe that i believe that with all my heart because otherwise it would be impossible for any of us to persevere in the way that god calls for us to persevere so i don't want the issue of failure to be a problem with any of you because some of you feel like I'm successful, but other of you, and some of you feel in your middle, but I know that some of you will feel like I'm a failure, or I fail more times than I succeed. But it's only by the Holy Spirit that allows us to be able to succeed to begin with, okay? Having said that, many people fail not because the Holy Spirit is not available to them for them to succeed and for them to persevere until the end. They fail because of what Jesus implies here, that they fail to consider the cost. They don't take it seriously. They're not sure what they really are doing. This is the reason why Jesus answers with this crazy riddle here. Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Um, a Bible dictionary or whatever will tell you that Jesus probably owned a home in Capernaum and places like that. The point wasn't about you know owning or what doing. The point was just simply the fact that, listen, when, it call, when God calls us to do something, we've got to realize that there are going to be sacrifices that have to be made. Jesus doesn't agree to cover our per diem when we go on the road with him, right? Um, I like some, one scholar kind of in a scholarese put it like that, and I, I brought it down to the hood sort of in language there on that one. But, I mean, that's what, this, that's what the guy was saying, right? I mean, you know, Jesus is not guaranteeing, okay, listen, if, if, you, if you say I'm going to be a follower of you, then I'm going to provide you with uh, Mercedes, I'm going, to follow, I'm going to provide you with a nice home. I'm going to provide you with some extra money, some you know, vacation money. 
you know, there's none of that, right? The thing is, is that Jesus doesn't call us to live our lives in luxury, and God's going to provide everything that we think is necessary. You know, um, I don't know if I can use an example in this. I guess I can. Uh, but um, my, my mom, as you know, runs her own business. She's a NASA contractor. And this week, um, she was uh, going over her, um, her accounts. Some of her employees were gone um, to one of the other centers, I think the one in Mississippi, one of the other NASA centers. And so they have like, you know, supposed to have a reasonable per diem, you know, on what they spend for food, right? It's supposed to be like 40 bucks or something like that. The government established that amount. And the bills came in and it was like $100, right? Well, did they not know? I mean, why did they do this, right? Well, it's because they thought, well, hey, if it's on the government's dime, why not, right? Let's just go to Ruth Chris or whatever, you know? We'll just go somewhere nice, and it'll be great, and, you know, it's good. And the problem is, as Christians, we're tempted to believe that in order to persevere, that we also need God to make sure he provides everything that we could possibly want, and only then do we follow him, right? But that's what Jesus is clearly saying here is not the way it is. That if we're going to follow Jesus, it is because we what? Want to follow him. Not because we think we're going to get anything out of it, right? Especially not in this life. In the next life, absolutely. But especially not in this life, right? This is the problem because in the West, our sense of materialism and consumerism really hurts us because we think that somehow God owes us something besides eternal life, salvation, and complete healing and restoration, which, by the way, is a great thing, right? I mean, that's not, I mean, let's just do it for that, right? If nothing else. But we also then think he's going to get us the car, he's going to get us the, the truck, whatever we want. Um, God becomes Santa Claus and not what we need. The problem is Jesus, not Santa Claus, and this is what the religious teacher could not understand. That's why Jesus is very clear here. Listen, if you go with me, it's not because you think that you're going to get some kind of material blessing or some kind of knowledge, you know, because in the ancient world, knowledge was considered sort of like a material blessing. You know, people would pursue knowledge, um, and they, they thought that was just like the awesome thing. Um, it's not that he's going to agree to do any of that. He's saying, follow me because that's what God has called you to do. Other than that, it's, not, it's probably not going to work out. Second idea we're going to talk about today is that we must not become distracted. It's very easy for us to be distracted, as we know we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. Very easy for us to be distracted by the world I talked about two, three weeks ago. This being the battle of our lives, okay? Two different people come to Jesus, and they say to him, listen, the first one says, hey, Hannah Montana, I'm going to follow you wherever. Just give me the knowledge, give me the per diem, and I'm there, right? Doesn't work that way, right? Second one comes and does what? He says, well, I can't quote it, so let me just read it. He says, uh, uh, Lord, for, oh, another of his disciples says, okay, it's in response, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now, let the spiritually dead bury the dead, right? Now, the interesting thing about this one, too, is that at the outset, that seems kind of reasonable and Jesus unreasonable, right? Jesus is actually pretty unreasonable a lot in, in the Bible, right? He's unreasonable because he doesn't give in to our keeping looking at ourselves for the answers and looking to ourselves for our own desires, right? Always challenging us to go to God. Many people want to follow God when it's convenient, right? This is the problem. This guy right here, 
it's not convenient right now because he's got to go bury his father, right? And so he wants to ask Jesus for a pass, right? He wants to ask Jesus to be able to, to not do it right now because it's not convenient, right? Oh, man, you know, in our world today, this is going to betray some of my philosophical underpinnings, but in our world today, you know, I feel like that a, a lot of our society just wants a pass, okay? I'm not going to say anything about stimulus or anything else like that, right? But it seems like that there are a lot that we have have a society where a lot of people are tempted. You know, I can use this example. I'm just going to use this one because this is fair. I can do this and be neutral. Every time I get on Facebook, right? Every time I get on Facebook, there's always ads on this side. You know, these are Facebook ads, not Google ads. Somebody's paying Facebook for this, right? And it says, get your stimulus check from President Obama, $32,000 and up. Just apply here and you'll get $32,000 within a week. And then there's a testimonial of all these people who got $32,000, right? Okay, well, sign me up because I want my $32,000 too, right? Well, no. The problem is, is that, and I don't believe that's true. I don't, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think if I, if I email the government tomorrow, I'm going to get a $32,000 check next week. The thing is, though, is that there's a lot in our society in the West that's tempted to say, well, I should get a pass, right? I should get a pass. Oh, you know... The funny thing is, is that when you live in a city of a million people, like San Jose, every day, don't you meet someone who feels like the rules don't apply to them? They, that, you know, the rules are made for somebody else. Again, this is betraying my philosophical underpinnings a little bit, but it drives me crazy. Because I'm like, listen, for society to function, the rules have to apply to you just like they apply to me, right? But in the same way, many people want to say about God's guidelines, his rules for living that, you know what, it doesn't apply to me or it only applies when it's convenient to me, right? But if we want to persevere to the end, if we want to be followers of Jesus who make it across the wall, make it to the finish line, we cannot follow God whenever it's convenient. We have to follow him 24-7. We have to be willing to follow him even when it's inconvenient, inconvenient, not convenient, less convenient. When it's just not convenient, we have to be willing to follow him. Listen, if you've been in church for a while, you know that there's lots of, or you may have heard, lots of explanations for the guy wanting to bury his father. Two of the more famous ones is that Jew, uh, Jewish culture had two funerals. They had like their uh, original funeral where they buried them in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the one burial place for a while. And then a year later, they came back, dug them up, and put them in ossuary or something like that. Uh, what was called a bone box. Uh, another idea that, that some people have is that um, basically uh, what it means there, it's a euphemism for my father's on death door. I got to go take care of him until he actually kicks the bucket and then I can follow you, right? So it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter whether it's a day, a week, a year, a month. Probably the guy is implying a year or more of delay that he wants. But the key is, is that it would take time away from God. If there's one thing I've learned in churches is that I've learned that the average Christian, and I'm not talking about BBC or here, but the danger is for us to not do this, but the average Christian, when, 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 I, when I come to them and when I ask them, uh, you know, I'll say, hey, listen, are you, doing, are you producing fruit? What, you know, I won't say it like that, but I'll say something like, hey, have you ever thought about helping out or doing this? Whatever. Are you producing fruit is the question I really ask. And the number one answer I get in response is what? I can't right now because my life, you don't understand, my life is too busy but maybe in six months or a year, right? 
Now, my wife is really big on me to understand that people have seasons, right? So she can't give birth one day and the next week be back and teach you mops. There's physical limitations. And I understand that, right? But at the same time, the gospel propels us to not think about life that way. No offense to my wife. But at the same time, we tend to use seasons and distractions as excuses that do what? Prevent us from doing what? Let's walk backwards through this. They, I won't do the moonwalk, but they prevent us from doing what? From bearing fruit, right? And they prevent us from what? Being together. And they prevent us from following, being obedient. And they prevent us from um, uh, uh, understanding God's plan. They prevent us from ultimately doing what? Being committed to God, right? Not right now. But the problem is, and I've shared this example before, is that not right now never seems to be the end, right? I mean, I've known people for years and years and years and they'll tell me for years and years and years, not right now. You don't understand. Now, right now, I have kids. Right now, I have to take care of my dad. Right now, I have to get a hit in my career. But as we all know, when does, when does it ever happen? In the hospital, <laughs> when they're laying on the bed, and, the, and they got all the wires in them, and then they're like, hey, you know, Pastor, um, I hope that I did, um, I mean, I wish I could have done more, right? Well, too late now. I don't say that, you know. <laughs> you don't say that. But I always, uh, so I won't ever go to any, oh, no, I'm sorry, I won't say it like that. I will definitely go to your bedside. I won't say this to you. And so I don't want you to think that he's even thinking it because I don't want this to be you. But so often when I go to people who um, have just not lived their lives with God's call, I just, you know, I always want to say, oh, you had the chance. You, you missed it. You missed it. Listen, this is not going to be any of you, okay? If I have to go to your home, drag you out of bed, not going to be you, okay? Don't miss it. The key is, is that anything that takes time away from God is ultimately a distraction. We talked about a few weeks ago how we use family as an excuse, right? Because we say, oh, it's family, right? I mean, when you think about it, let me see if I have this up here on the screen. Oh, yeah, listen, it's not that burying your father is not good and important. It is, right? Even according to Jewish law, it's important that you take care of your parents, right? I mean, so it wasn't, he wasn't doing anything unbiblical. He was doing things that was good, right? But choosing to follow Jesus causes us to face difficult choices, right? See, a lot of people believe that when they become a believer and they make that initial commitment, which is not much of a commitment, they don't grow together, they don't understand, they just kind of come in and out on sandy foundations. And what happens is they, they miss the point that discipleship requires, perseverance requires us to make and face difficult choices, right? It's difficult for us to decide whether to follow God or not. It's difficult for us to decide whether we're going to commit how much of our time to building up our company and how much of our time serving the Lord. It's going to be difficult to decide how much of our precious money we give to God and how much we keep for ourselves because we need it for things. I mean, we need things. We need things, right? But choosing to follow Jesus causes us to face difficult cho choices, even including our own family, right? Now, some of you here know this, because some of you have family who don't like it that, you're, that you follow Jesus, that don't like it that you come to church, they have problems with it, right? And some of you know that, right? But the problem is that most of us are willing to just kind of stay in the middle. We don't want to offend our family too much, right? We just want to kind of play it both ways and that's what we can't do this is what this guy wanted to do right he wanted to have it both ways 
He wanted to play at both sides. He wanted to be the good son to his father, earthly father, and he wanted to be the good son to his heavenly father. But when those conflict, then it will demonstrate to everyone around you who you really follow and who really is the one that you serve. The result, many people choose regular life over God, right? I mean, this, 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 this is what I see all the time. Average church person here in America is that we choose regular life over God, right? Because, look, let's just be honest. We don't want to be crazy, right? I mean, and I'm not advocating craziness, but we see the crazies on TV, right? They're waving the Jesus signs and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm not talking about the super crazy non-Christian ones that have the hate signs. I'm not talking about those. But we see people who are out there and, you know, or we see them on TV and they're worshiping and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Or we see them running around and we think, man, I don't want to be that crazy, right? I don't want to be, if that's what being crazy for the Lord is, Jesus freak, I don't want to be that, okay? But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that when push comes to shove, most of us, okay, here we go, in the church, most of us, not BBC, but in the average church here in America, most people, according, and this is, you can back up by scripture, but most people will fail because they will allow their regular life to supersede God's call. They will fail because they will allow everything from their taxes to their homes to their big screen TVs to their Wii's to their sports to their gym memberships to whatever it may be, their family, their friends, to take precedence over God. And it's not like they get up in the morning and they say, listen, I'm going to play Wii all day long because Wii is what I'm, is my God? No. But it's a little bit over time and it slips away, right? Because we end up spending our time doing those distractions, right, rather than serving God. One of the things that we have is, you know, escapist uh, mentality. When I was doing singles ministry in, at Providence in Raleigh, I always used to tell, and I did it myself. I, pra- I mean, this was something I practiced when I preached. But I used to tell um, all the singles, listen, if you're going to go out on a date, don't ever go to the amusement park. Don't ever go... Um, don't ever go to the amusement park. Don't ever go to the movies. Don't do that stuff. It's a waste of time. You know why? Not that amusement parks and movies are not fun, but the problem is, is that uh, there's a book called Cheap Psychological Tricks, and one of the ways to convince the other person, don't anyone use this, but the way to convince the other person that, that they have feelings for you, if they're uncertain, not they can't be negative, but if they're uncertain, is to take them to the most uh, adrenaline-rushing, escapist activity that you can, and it will at least put that idea in their mind, right? The thing is, is that you can't get to know someone. You can't, I probably shouldn't share that in all the services. Right? I don't want somebody to take that idea and use it uh, in, inappropriately. But, um, but the thing is, is that, listen, it's very easy for us to do escapist things, right? Because everything, and I watch movies, but everything from movies to video games to our jobs to our, our whatever it may be, those things escape, help us to escape from real life. But what's real life? Is real life taxes? Is real life jobs? Is real life Gucci, Prada? Is real life Santana Row? Is real, what is real life, right? Because the Bible says very clearly that real life is what? Very clearly, John, real life is what? Found only in God, right? And so when we practice these other things, it distracts us, and we choose a mundane, regular life as we see it rather than real life which comes in Jesus and Him alone, right? We must finish life faithful to God. This is the challenge that we face right here 
is finishing life faithful to God. Being a follower of Jesus does not mean you'll finish well. Here's what I was going to say that's going to be controversial. Many of you are not going to be, ooh, this is kind of weird, right? Here's the thing. I want you to look at what the Bible says. Don't believe me. Look at the Bible. Here we go. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross the other side of the lake. Then, religion, then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you. Jesus says the riddle. Then notice this. Another of his disciples said to him, Matthew calls both of these gentlemen what? Disciples. Oh, yes. You see, both of these people... In, in Matthew's eyes, were committed to Jesus. But to Jesus, they weren't committed in the way that they needed to be. Being a follower of Jesus does not mean that you'll finish well. See, this is the problem. Both of these gentlemen, both of these gentlemen were disciples. The Bible is very clear that they were disciples of Jesus. And yet they did not finish well. Or at least they were tempted not to finish. We don't know what their story was. But at that point in their life, we know that their trajectory was not to finish well. It is critically important to realize that, both the, that the Bible calls both these people followers. They're just not the kind of followers that God desires, right? We go back to our first week, right? Because the problem is that people are going to do what? Claim Lord, Lord. They're going to prophesy in His name. They're going to do miracles in His name. But He's going to say what? I didn't know you, right? The Bible talks about that the road to God is narrow and many people are not on it. This is why getting our lives on a solid foundation is critically important because it is quite possible for us to be disciples and not to finish well. Now, does that mean that we, we won't make it to heaven? No, I'm not, say, I'm not talking about heaven here. I'm talking about the fact that we want to not only go to heaven, but that we want to stand before God and Him do what? Say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? That we want Him to be actually proud that He knows us and happy, that may proud may be the wrong word, but just happy that we are the son or the daughter who's returned to Him, right? Not just sneak in the back door. I don't even know if there will be sneaking in the back door. It is critically important for us to realize that there are followers of Jesus who will not finish well. Lots of them who will not finish well. I have one more thing to, to, to really bother you here. Jesus clearly states that it is not how we begin life that matters as much as how we finish our life. Matthew chapter 20, right? Read that parable. Because you know what? Many people in the church will say... Well, I went to Sunday school as a kid, and I, I got baptized, and I got confirmed, and then after that point in my life, I did come to church on occasion. But you know what? In Matthew 20, the whole point of the parable is what? That God's reward is based on how people finish, not how they begin. And I think there's a danger for everyone in the church here in the West, because it's very easy for us to point back to how we started our life with God. Oh, when we were younger, we were on fire, we were whatever. It doesn't matter because it's how we finish that really defines who we are, right? How we finish. Now, the good news is if you're here this morning, you haven't finished yet. Why? Because you're not dead, right? Okay? But, but, the thing is, is that your, what you did 20 years ago doesn't matter for you finishing well. You've got to finish well. And you know what the only way to finish well is? The only way to persevere is do what? You've got to make it every single day. 
That's why, you know, that's why the Bible says, if you've been in church for a while, you know, the Bible, all these end time debates and all this stuff, right? And Jesus says what? To be ready on that day as if this was the day I was coming back. Not to mean today's the day he's coming back, but that we have to live, if we want to finish well, we have to live our lives as if today was our last day. That's the only way it's going to happen. That's the only way it's going to happen. How do we persevere to the end remaining faithful? That's the question. Well, here's the problem. It's hard to give a detailed answer to this question because the answer really is to live our lives as if every day was the last day. That's the only answer I can give you. But here's, I can address how we can avoid not persevering. Let me just go down the list, right? This is the only chart I have this morning. Top reasons, in my opinion, from Scripture and from experience, why most followers of Jesus fail to persevere. Number five, following is too hard, right? Just like the guy in the story today, it's just too hard, it's too difficult. I, I wanted per diem, I wanted my Mercedes, I need money, I just, it's too hard for me. Number four, becoming offended by other people in the church. Becoming offended by Christians. That brings down more people um, than, than anyone that I can see. The whole book of James is about this issue, right? Number three, giving in to our own desires, right? We see that when pastors or ministry leaders, when they fall from grace, so to speak, why is it? Is it they didn't know what God had called them to do? No, they knew. Is it because they're inherently evil? Well, they're broken. We're all inherently broken. Is it because that they're hypocrites? Well, no. I mean, they are, but we're all hypocrites. But is it just simply the fact that when it push came to sub, they chose to give in to their own desires rather than do what God called them to do? That's what it is, right? Number two, don't take it seriously, right? And number one, become distracted by earthly issues. Those kind of go together because 90-some percent, I think, of Christians in America, quote-unquote, fall in this category. Just do not take their walk with God seriously enough.